Section 13 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the street sellers of gold and silver fish. Of these dealers, residents in London, there are about 70, but during my inquiry at the beginning of July, there were not 20 in town. One of their body knew of ten who were at work live fish selling, and there might be as many more, he thought, working the remoter suburbs of Blackheath, Croydon, Richmond, Twickenham, Isleworth, or wherever there are villa residences of the wealthy. This is the season when the gold and silver fish sellers, who are altogether a distinct class from the bird sellers of the streets, resort to the country to vend their glass globes, with the glittering fish swimming ceaselessly round and round. The goldfish hawkers are for the most part of the very best class of the street sellers. One of the principal fish sellers is in winter a street vendor of cough drops, horsehound candy, colt's foot sticks, and other medicinal confectionaries, which he himself manufactures. Another leading goldfish seller is a costermonger now on pineapples. A third, with a good connection among the innkeepers, is in the autumn and winter a hawker of game and poultry. There are in London three wholesale dealers in gold and silver fish, two of them, one in the Kingsland Road and the other close by Billingsgate, supply more especially the street sellers, and the street traffic is considerable. Goldfish is one of the things which people buy when brought to their doors, but which they seldom care to order. The importunity of children when a man unexpectedly tempts them with a display of such brilliant creatures as goldfish is another great promotive of the street trade, and the street traders are the best customers of the wholesale purveyors, buying somewhere about three-fourths of their whole stock. The dealers keep their fish in tanks suited to the purpose, but goldfish are never bred in London. The English-reared goldfish are raised, for the most part, as respects the London market, in several places in Essex. In some parts they are bred in warm ponds, the water being heated by the steam from adjacent machinery, and in some places they are found to thrive well. Some are imported from France, Holland and Belgium. Some are brought from the Indies, and are usually sold to the dealers to improve their breed, which every now and then, I was told, required a foreign mixture, or they didn't keep up their colour. The Indian and foreign fish, however, are also sold in the streets. The dealers, or rather the Essex breeders, who are often in London, have just the pick of them, usually through the agency of their town customers. The English-reared goldfish are not much short of three-fourths of the whole supply, as the importation of these fishes is troublesome, and unless they are sent under the care of a competent person, or unless the master or steward of a vessel is made to incur a share in the venture by being paid so much freight money for as many gold and silver fishes as are landed in good health, and nothing for the dead or dying, it is very hazardous sending them on shipboard at all, as in case of neglect they may all die during the voyage. The gold and silver fish are of the carp species, and are natives of China, but they were first introduced into this country from Portugal, about 1690. Some are still brought from Portugal. 
They have been common in England for about 120 years. These fish are known in the street trade as globe and pond fish. The distinction is not one of species, nor even of the variety of a species, but merely a distinction of size. The larger fish are pond, the smaller globe. But the difference on which the street sellers principally dwell is that the pond fish are far more troublesome to keep by them in a slack time, as they must be fed and tended most sedulously. Their food is stale bread or biscuit. The globe fish are not fed at all by the street dealer, as the animalcule and the minute insects in the water suffice for their food. Soft, rain, or sometimes Thames water, is used for the filling of the globe containing a street seller's goldfish, the water being changed twice a day, at a public house or elsewhere, when the hawker is on a round. Spring water is usually rejected, as the soft water contains more food. One man, however, told me he had recourse to the street pumps for a renewal of water, twice or occasionally thrice a day, when the weather was sultry, but spring or well water wouldn't do at all. He was quite unconscious that he was using it from the pump. The wholesale price of these fish ranges from 5 shillings to 18 shillings per dozen, with a higher charge for picked fish, when high prices must be paid. The cost of large silvers, for instance, which are scarcer than large golds, so I heard them called, is sometimes 5 shillings apiece, even to a retailer and rarely less than three shillings sixpence. The most frequent price, retail from the hawker, for almost all the fish are hawks, but only there, I presume, for a temporary purpose, is two shillings the pair. The goldfish are now always hawked in glass globes, containing about a dozen occupants, within a diameter of twelve inches. These globes are sold by the hawker, or, if ordered, supplied by him on his next round that way, the price being about two shillings. Glass globes for the display of goldfish are indeed manufactured at from sixpence to one pound ten shillings each, but two shillings or two shillings sixpence is the usual limit to the price of those vended in the street. The fish are lifted out of the water in the globe to consign to a purchaser by being caught in a neat net of fine and different coloured cordage, always carried by the hawker, and manufactured for the trade at two shillings a dozen. Neat handles for these nets, of stained or plain wood, are a shilling the dozen. The dealers avoid touching the fish with their hands. Both goldfish and glass globes are much cheaper than they were ten years ago. The globes are cheaper, of course, since the alteration in the tax on glass, and the street sellers are numerically nearly double what they were. From a well-looking and well-spoken youth of twenty-one or twenty-two, I had the following account. He was the son and grandson of costermongers, but was, perhaps in consequence of his goldfish selling, lying among a class not usually the costermongers' customers, of more refined manners than the generality of the coster's children. "'I've been in the streets, sir,' he said, "'helping my father.' until I was old enough to sell on my own account, since I was six years old. Yes, I like a street life, I'll tell you the plain truth, for I was put by my father to a paper-stainer, and found I couldn't bear to stay indoors. It would have killed me. Goldfish are as good a thing to sell as anything else, perhaps, but I've been a costermonger as well, 
and have sold both fruit and good fish, salmon and fine soles. Goldfish are not good for eating. I tried one once, just out of curiosity, and it tasted very bitter indeed. I tasted it boiled. I've worked both town and country on goldfish. I've served both Brighton and Hastings. The fish were sent to me by rail, in vessels with air holes, when I wanted more. I never stopped at lodging houses, but at respectable public houses, where I could be well suited in the care of my fish. It's an expense, but there's no help for it. Note, a costermonger, when I questioned him on the subject, told me that he had sometimes sold goldfish in the country, and though he had often enough slept in common lodging houses, he never could carry his fish there, for he felt satisfied, although he had never tested the fact, that in nine out of ten such places the fish in the summer season would half of them die during the night from the foul air. End note. Goldfish sell better in the country than town, the street dealer continued. Much better. They're more thought of in the country. My father sold them all over the world, as the saying is. I've sold both foreign and English fish. I prefer English. They're the hardiest. Essex fish. The foreign, I don't just know what part, are bred in milk ponds, kept fresh and sweet, of course, and when they're brought here, and some to be put in cold water, they soon die. In Essex they're bred in cold water. They live about three years. That's their lifetime, if they're properly seen to. I don't know what kind of fish goldfish are. I've heard that they first came from China. No, I can't read, and I'm very sorry for it. If I have time next winter, I'll get taught. Gentlemen sometimes ask me to sit down and talk to me about fish and their history. Natural history. And I'm often at a loss, which I mightn't be if I could read. If I have fish left after my day's work, I never let them stay in the globe I've hawked them in, but put them into a large pan or a tub sometimes, three parts full of water, where they have room. My customers are ladies and gentlemen, but I have sold to shopkeepers, such as buttermen, that often show goldfish and flowers in their shops. The fish don't live long in the very small globes, but they're put in them sometimes just to satisfy children. I've sold as many as two dozen at a time, to stock a pond in a gentleman's garden. It's the best sale, a little way out of town in any direction. I sell six dozen a week, I think, one week with another. They'll run as to price at a shilling apiece. That six dozen includes what I sell both in town and country. Perhaps I sell them nearly three parts of the year. Some hawk all the year, but it's a poor winter trade. Yes, I make a very fair living. Two shillings sixpence or three shillings or so a day, perhaps, on goldfish, when the weather suits. End quote. A man to whom I was referred as an experienced goldfish seller had just returned, when I saw him, from the sale of a stock of new potatoes, peas, and so on, which he worked in a donkey cart. He had not this season, he said, started in the goldfish line, and did very little last year in it, as his costermongering trade kept steady, but his wife thought goldfish selling was a better trade, and she always accompanied him in his street rounds, so he might take to it again. In his youth he was in the service of an old lady who had several pets, and among them were goldfish, of which she was very proud, always endeavouring to procure the finest, a street seller being sure of her as a customer if he had fish larger or deeper or brighter coloured than usual. She kept them both in stone cisterns or small ponds in her garden, 
and in glass globes in the house. Of these fish my informant had the care, and was often commended for his good management of them. After his mistress's death, he was very unlucky, he said, in his places, his last master having been implicated, he believed, in some gambling and bill-discounting transactions, left the kingdom suddenly, and my informant was without a character, for the master he served previously to the one who went off so abruptly was dead, and a character two years back was of no use, for people said, But where have you been living since? Let me know all about that. The man did not know what to do, for his money was soon exhausted. I had nothing left he said, which I could turn into money, except a very good greatcoat, which had belonged to my last master, and which was given to me because he went off without paying me my wages. I thought of listing, for I was tired of a footman's life, almost always in the house in such places as I had, but I was too old, I feared, and if I could have got over that, I knew I should be rejected because I was getting bald. I was sitting thinking whatever could be done, I wasn't married then, and had nobody to consult with, when I heard the very man as used to serve my old lady crying goldfish in the street. It struck me all of a heap, and I wonder I hadn't thought of it before, when I recollected how well I'd managed the fish, that I'd sell goldfish too, and hawk it as he did, and it didn't seem such a bad trade. So I asked the man all about it, and he told me, and I raised a sovereign on my greatcoat, and that was my start in the streets. I was nervous and a little shamed at first, but I soon got over that, and in time turned my hand to fruit and other things. Goldfish saved my life, sir, I do believe that, for I might have pined into a consumption, if I'd been without something to do, and something to eat much longer. If we calculate, in order to allow for the cessation of the trade during the winter, and often in the summer when costermongering is at its best, that but half the above-mentioned number of goldfish sellers hawk in the streets, and that for but half a year, each selling six dozen weekly at twelve shillings the dozen, we find 65,520 fish sold at an outlay of £3,276. As the country is also worked by the London street sellers, and the supply is derived from London, the number and amount may be doubled to include this traffic, or 131,040 fish sold, and 6,552 pounds expended. Of the Street Sellers of Tortoises The number of tortoises sold in the streets of London is far greater than might be imagined, for it is a creature of no utility, and one which is inanimate in this country for half its life. Of live tortoises, there are 20,000 annually imported from the port of Mogador in Morocco. They are not brought over, as are the parrots and so on, of which I have spoken, for amusement or as private ventures of the seamen, but are regularly consigned from Jewish houses in Mogador to Jewish merchants in London. They are a freight, of which little care is taken, as they are brought over principally as ballast in the ship's hold, where they remain torpid. The street sellers of tortoises are costermongers of the smarter class. Sometimes the vendors of shells and foreign birds work also a few tortoises, and occasionally a wholesale dealer, the consignee of the Jewish house in Africa, will send out his own servants to sell barrow loads of tortoises in the street on his own account, 
they are regularly ranged on the barrows and certainly present a curious appearance half alive creatures as they are when the weather is not of the warmest brought from another continent for sale by thousands in the streets of london and retention in the gardens and grounds of our civic villas of the number imported one half or ten thousand are yearly sold in the streets by the several open-air dealers i have mentioned the wholesale price is from four shillings to six shillings a dozen they are retailed from sixpence to a shilling a very fine well-grown tortoise being sometimes worth two shillings sixpence the mass however are sold at sixpence to ninepence each but many fetch a shilling they are bought for children and to keep in gardens as i have said and when properly fed on lettuce leaves spinach and similar vegetables or on white bread sopped in water will live a long time if the tortoise be neglected in a garden and have no access to his favourite food he will eat almost any green thing which comes in his way and so may commit ravages during the winter and the later autumn and earlier spring the tortoise is torpid and may be kept in a drawer or any recess until the approach of summer thaws him as i heard it called calculating the average price of tortoises in street sale at eightpence each we find upwards of three hundred and thirty three pounds thus expended yearly of the street sellers of snails frogs worms snakes hedgehogs etc i class together these several kinds of live creatures as they are all gathered and sold by the same persons principally by the men who supply bird food of whom i have given accounts in my statements concerning groundsel chickweed plantain and turf selling the principal snail sellers however are the turf cutters who are young and active men while the groundsel sellers are often old and infirm and incapable of working all night as the necessities of the snail trade often require of turf cutters there were at the time of my inquiry last winter forty-two in london and of these full one-third are regular purveyors of snails such being the daintier diet of the caged blackbirds and thrushes these men obtain their supply of snails in the market gardens the proprietors willingly granting leave to any known or duly recommended person who will rid them of these depredators seven-eighths of the quantity gathered are sold to the bird dealers to whom the price is tuppence a quart the other eighth is sold on a street round at from threepence to sixpence the quart a quart contains at least eighty snails not heaped up their shells being measured along with them one man told me there were a hundred snails to a fair quart when it is moonlight at this season of the year the snail gatherers sometimes work all night at other times from an hour before sunset to the decline of daylight the work being resumed at the dawn to gather twelve quarts in a night or a long evening and morning is accounted a prosperous harvest half that quantity is pretty tidy an experienced man said to me quote, the best snail grounds sir you may take my word for it is in putney and barnes it's the greys we go for the fellows with the shells on them the black snails or slugs is no good to us i think snails is the slowest got money of any i don't suppose they get scarcer but there's good seasons for snails and there's bad 
warm and wet is best. We don't take the little uns. They come next year. I may make a pound a year, or a little more, in snails. In winter there's hardly anything done in them, and the snails is on the ground. In summer they're on the walls or leaves. They'll keep six months without injury. They'll keep the winter round, indeed, in a proper place. End quote. I am informed that the fourteen snail-gatherers, on the average, gather six dozen quarts each in a year, which supplies a total of 12,096 quarts, or individually 1,189,440 snails. The labourers in the gardens, I am informed, may gather somewhat more than an equal quantity, all being sold to the bird-shops so that altogether the supply of snails for the caged thrushes and blackbirds of London is about two millions and a half. Computing them at twenty-four thousand quarts, and only at tuppence a quart, the outlay is two hundred pounds per annum. The frogs sold by street people are, at the rate of about thirty-six dozen a year, disposed of in equal proportion to university and king's colleges. Only two men collect the frogs, one for each hospital. They are charged a penny each. I've sometimes, said one of the frog purveyors, come on a place where I could have got six or seven dozen in a day, but that's mostly been when I didn't want them. At other times I've gone days without collaring a single frog. I only want them four times a year, and four or five dozen at a time. The low part of Hampstead's the best ground for them, I think. The doctors like big fellows. They keep them in water till they're wanted to dissect. End quote. One man thought that there might be fifty more frogs or upwards ordered yearly through the bird shops for experiments under air pumps and so on. This gives about five hundred frogs sold yearly by the street people. One year, however, I was told, the supply was larger for a Camberwell gentleman ordered forty frogs to stock a watery place at the foot of his garden, as he liked to hear and see them. The toad trade is almost a nonentity. One man who was confident he had as good a trade in that line as any of his fellows told me that last year he only supplied one toad. In one year, he forgot the precise time, he collected ten he was confident that from twelve to twenty-four a year was now the extent of the toad trade, perhaps twenty. There was no regular price, and the men only work to order. Quote, it's just what the shopkeeper, mostly a herbalist, likes to give. End quote. I was told from a penny to sixpence according to size. Quote, I don't know what they're wanted for. Something about the doctors, I believe. But if you want any toad, sir, for anything, I know a place between Hampstead and Willesden where there's real stunners. End quote. Worms are collected in small quantities by the street sellers, and very grudgingly, for they are to be supplied gratuitously to the shopkeepers who are the customers of the turf cutters and snail and worm collectors. They expect it as a perquisite like. One man told me that they only gathered groundworms for the bird fanciers. Of the snakes and hedgehogs I have already spoken when treating of the collection of birds' nests. 
I am told that some few glow-worms are collected. End of section 13